So, hello everyone. My name is Wim van Kouwenbergen. Welcome to the Asset Performance Podcast. Um, we are going to talk today about innovations and insights in maintenance management with uh, Steve Timms and Ty Levine of Siga Technologies. Hi, Steve. Uh, so, you have taken up the role as a Chief Executive Officer in 2022. So, um, well, maybe you can share... Uh, With us, how did you uh, enter this field of enterprise asset management? Excellent, Vim. Hello again, by the way. It was lovely to see you at Asset Performance earlier this year um, in Antwerp. And I have to say, it was my first time there. What a wonderful city. But to answer your question, look, I, I spent um, earlier in, in my career, I spent a, a decade at a company called Click Software. And some of your audience may be familiar with it, but, but it was a, a global leader in workforce management. And what I found and why I stayed 10 years and why I really enjoyed it was I had this huge respect for the work that the, the technicians did, which is, if you think about it, it's fundamentally the same work they've been doing for decades. It's the work that brings light to my house, fuel for my car, or cereal for my, my breakfast. And um, huge respect for, for, for them and loved the idea of bringing new solutions to solve these old problems that have been sticky problems to solve, as I said, for, for decades. So when the opportunity to come and join SIGA came about, it felt like it was stepping back into that world. How can I go and do something meaningful to contribute, like real value to, to the people that keep our world running? So that was what made me want to come back and, uh, and do this and get back into th this type of, of industry. And, and I have to say, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, without any doubt. And we're going into detail during our podcast today. So uh, stick around to, to, uh, for the listeners. So uh, hello, Ty. Uh, also welcome to the podcast. Uh, so uh, maybe you can also explain a little bit what is your mission at, uh, at SIGA. Sure. So as VP of Marketing... My job is to evangelize everything that Steve just described. But before you even get there, it's talking to people that do this every single day, listening to their problems, their pain points, and trying to then work with our team internally and, and, and educate them on what the market and what the problems of people are saying and, and, and frustrated with. And how do you build products to deliver that? But then how do I take what we do and communicate that effectively to the market, to people, that, so that they understand that what SIGA is doing is, at the end of the day, providing great technology and value for what they're going to derive from using SIGA with their uh, daily tasks, their weekly tasks, and their monthly planning Uh, etc. And that's really what I do on a daily basis. And I love talking to people and get and listening to their stories. You got to be a good listener in marketing to be able to then turn around and talk and evangelize. Certainly, certainly. So Steve, um, maybe you can uh, talk a little bit more about what kind of organization is SIGA? Sure. So, so technically, the answer would be we're an ISV, an independent software vendor. What that really means is that, that our entire life is about building software products, and we specialize in 
providing what people probably now think more of as connected worker solutions, really for maintenance organizations and explicitly for SAP, whether that's ECC or SAP for HANA. So we're a software company that, that does that. When you think about kind of who we are and our cultural values, we really try and think, actually, our fourth cultural value, which might be of interest to you, is relentless consideration for customer experience. And I've tried to make sure I propagate this through the organization because it allows us to achieve one of our mission objectives, which is to make the maintenance technicians and the people that are associated with that, the planners, the, the, the technician, uh, the, the um, schedulers, reliability techs, operations, the folks that all live around that world is how do we make their life easier? And we have this kind of philosophy that says, if we put these folks at the center of the world, we can affect the experience and outcome of the entire company, of the entire organization. And we don't think many people think that way. We think that maintenance is, that the, the technicians that perform maintenance are really unsung heroes of an organization. And again, going back to the way we think really about our mission statement, the translation of that really says, how do we make maintenance techs become heroes in their organization? Because they really, truly deserve to be. So the connected worker solutions that, that, that we've got really evolve around mobility, planning and scheduling. We'll probably touch on um, our warehouse and inventory at some point during the call. It's creating the efficiencies that those kind of products allow us to do. And and remembering it's explicitly SAP, and it allows us to create and capture and enrich data that will drive into SAP to allow these really critical business decisions to be made more effectively. Yes, well, you touched already uh, quite a lot of, uh, of things here. But, yes, you, you, you did, but uh, you... you At your introduction, you said, okay, these, uh, the world of maintenance is already decades doing the same things. But of course, there are some issues around that in, in order to, to organize that. And nowadays, of course, we have uh, in many regions in the world, I think, a headache on top of that because uh, there are less and less maintenance technicians to find on the labor market. So um, does SEGA work on that also? Does, do you impact that or can you influence this uh, yes, this evolution that we have currently have. I, I think you're really talking about the, the problem that everybody's suffering and has been for a number of years around aging workforce, right? Yes. Okay. Of course. So and, I, yeah. I, I, I think there, and I'm, I'm happy for, for, for Ty to embellish my answer, but, but I think there are a couple of issues. When I think about aging workforce, there's really two sides of this problem. There is the outgoing side. Right, We have all of this knowledge, which unfortunately is tribal knowledge, it's experience, it's the same tech who's been working on the same machine for 15 years who knows how it lives and breathes and sounds and can manage his maintenance based on that. It's how do you take that knowledge and institutionalize it? That's kind of problem number one. And then problem number two is now we've got less people in the organization How do we attract this young generation into doing something that they probably perceive as labor-intensive, blue-collar work, and that's a challenge? So we absolutely think about how we can resolve both of those. Happy to talk about it now. I suspect it's going to come up a bit later in the, yeah. in the conversation, okay. so I'll, I'll take your lead on that, Wim. 
Yeah, okay, but uh, let's, let's come back to this uh, later on because, um, of course, as I said, okay, um, and, and as you explained also, um, you're integrating with the maintenance management tool, uh, the SAP or other ERP system. So um, how does this inter- integration impact maintenance management? How does that work? Okay, so first of all, a slight clarification on, on your question. It is explicitly SAP for us, okay. right? And I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Um, for us, focus matters. Like we think that there is a big enough market segment with SAP customers, like statistically it's 60 to 70% of large enterprise organizations. And it is the large enterprise asset intensive companies, food and beverage, mining, manufacturing. These are the guys that, that, that are sick of customers. And so we have plenty of market opportunity in there. And we think the counterpoint to that is our customers get rewarded by our focus. When think about it, right? When every person in SIGA, their, their every hour they invest is to the benefit of a customer, every piece of code we write, every way we think is about SAP integration, SAP processes. We think the the translation of that is customers ultimately get better experience. And and by the way, j- just for the audience, it doesn't matter to us whether it's SAP. ECC, we, we integrate with plant maintenance, MM, QM, or it's a S4HANA. And even the, the migration from ECC to S4HANA is trivial for SIGA, which, which is nice. Um, the relationship with SAP is we're a certified technology provider. Why is that important? Because you need that stamp. If we're going to be a credible and trusted partner to integrate into somebody's SAP system, right? We're familiar with ERP and CMMS, but when you spend, think SAP, Oracle, IBM, when you spend millions or tens of millions of dollars in implementing an ERP system, you better be sure the people that are connecting to it know what they're doing. And that's really what the the, uh, certification stamp is is that we have. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah, okay, so... um... In your experience, eh, how do asset owners define and approach maintenance in a way that really aligns with their business objectives? And and, and how can SIGA help them in achieving those objectives? Yeah, I think that's that's actually a fairly deep question. And we've only got an hour, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, I I would start by saying, having, having met lots of maintenance leaders, by the way, again, including some folks during uh, asset performance, um, I, I think maintenance leaders themselves are open and welcoming to the initiatives and opportunities to, to both improve and align a- across their business. And I think the biggest restriction, the biggest challenge that the, the organizations are facing is less about what can we do or an interest in doing it. It's how do I create the time to do it because I'm capacity constrained? And how do I get budget for it? Because there are other competing priorities, which frankly always seem to win over and above maintenance, right? So I, I, I think that's a real problem. But where organizations have been able to, to um, get access to the right stakeholders and find budget, I think business alignment is probably a broader question, right? It's there is business alignment to, to, let's think about sort of corporate goals. 
And if we're talking about business alignment to corporate goals, as it relates to the world of, of, of maintenance, these are often guided under some sort of digital transformation program. And they're more likely to include the big scale investments around rolling out digital twin across the company, full scale IoT. There's probably a reliability pillar lead. There's probably millions of dollars of budget associated to it. And this is geared around driving an organization's um, uh, maturation of their maturity model going from being potentially reactive through to like a, a fully predictive, which is also going to vary by, by site, by, by asset. Uh, but it's, it's preparing and empowering an organization to, to take that, that journey. If we look at business unit as sort of being local site or uh, business unit goals or, or, or plant goals, then I think you find it's probably easier and more accessible for organizations to get started because they're more likely to do the things that, that we talk about, right, which is the mobility, it's the planning and scheduling, it's less heavy lift, it's lower budget, but it still drives real operational gain and benefit in the organization around those efficiencies that, that we know we can get if we do work smarter, faster, and can do so more cheaply. Yes, and in the end, this also contributes in having the data and, and, and enabling this uh, access to data that, that, that might matter for the big corporate programs. I think we're going to talk about data a, a lot. What, what I do want to do, I, I want to just add one point to my question, though, Wim. And this goes back to a comment that, that I made earlier. And I want to be clear, like to, 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 to your listeners, this is a genuine and real, authentic, fundamental belief to us. Let's talk about what maintenance is not for a moment. Maintenance is not a necessary evil. And it is so often perceived by executives. And I'm not talking about people with inside the operations. They understand. But outside of that, people at the executive, people outside of the production of goods, materials, these people see maintenance as being this necessary evil, right? The, the, the perception is I, I, I use it as a joke and I, I mean it fundly. But, but my view is people expect operations leaders come in or whatever. They turn the lights on in the morning and they want to watch all of the maintenance leaders scurry away. <laughs> and, and, and it shouldn't be like that. We should all see, view and treat the work that maintenance, maintenance technicians do to be fundamental to the operation of the organization. You know, if I could just jump in for a second, I think what Steve is also saying here, without saying it, and we haven't really put these words in here, is there is an opportunity here. There is an opportunity for companies to look at maintenance as an opportunity holistically as part of and connected to, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, Various departments in the organization, not this silo sitting over here that only does one thing and only affects one thing. And I think that if the last five years have taught us anything where supply chains broke down, at the root of supply chains are the machines that make the products and the people that maintain them to ensure that you have critical products at a critical need time. To be able to do that and look holistically at this as an opportunity, there's so much that can be done and accomplished, both on a revenue side, a cost side, 
and a human side. And I think we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But I think Steve has just really just touched on this. Um, and I, it's something that we we believe strongly in, that if we can evangelize and tell that story more at every level of an organization, we will get to a point where everybody in these organizations say, wait a second, if we come together, look what we can accomplish, look what more we can do with less. Yes. Yeah, well said, Ty. Yeah, certainly. And and so uh, as you interact with a lot of maintenance departments and then other levels within organizations across different industries, so what are for you guys the the common challenges that you see regarding maintenance management or maintenance strategies nowadays? Yeah, so um, unsurprisingly, Wim, we had a sense that this question may come up. So we've definitely put some thought into it. And, and I, I, what I would like to try doing is splitting this into a very traditional answer of people, process, and, and, and technology. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm going to see if I can get my good friend Ty here to collaborate with me on the answer. So I, I'll take the first one about people. Um, as it relates to, to people, I think there are a number of things, and of course what, what Sigurd does, I think there are a number of things that organizations can do that don't have to be these big lifts. So a simple example is when we think about scheduling, let's make sure we're, we're managing to real availability. Let's think about public holidays. Let's think about people's vacation. Let's make sure that we can put day sickness in, right? So let's make sure we're managing to availability. We want to be able to consider the skills, the proficiency, and the certifications individuals have as we're making decisions about who does what. Because we want to make sure it's not just who does what. It's how do we get the right person to do the right job at the right time, at the right location, because this is really how we start to drive efficiencies. If we stay on people, we want to improve worker safety, right? Again, not, not a big lift. Let's add in risk assessments. Let's make sure we perform safety checklists. These are trivial to implement inside mobile. Better mobile Better planning and scheduling improves an organization's ability to collaborate across departments, right? And even if it is something as simple as maintenance and production operations, being able to see, visibly understand production schedules, this is is a huge game changer for a lot of organizations in, in the way they experience that today. Really, it's about providing all the information that that a technician is going to need at the time they're going to need it, right? Right person, right time, right job, right information. And that's something that's easy to do. The final piece that I would like to say here on people is it's an opportunity to really invest. And and when you invest, it comes back to that thing, like our fundamental belief, maintenance at the center of the world. If you invest in these people, you invest in these organizations, if you put them at the center of the world and say, how do we make their life easier? The benefits propagate across the entire organization. You also have much higher quality data to make much more useful and valuable strategic decisions. And and, and to elaborate on Steve's comment about data, and it's going to permeate probably the rest of our discussion today, Steve and I have talked to prospect company after company just in the last year alone. And 
always the first question is, what is your pain point? What is your, what is keeping you up at night? Every single one, I'm not talking about 90%, 95, 100% of people talk about data visibility. And the second thing that I have seen this year alone is that when I have sat in on presentations and talked to people that are the data leaders at companies, often in IT departments and, and sometimes very often on their own, they talk about, I, I call it the white collar data in an organization. And some of these companies will spend a year in planning, testing, implementing, well, I should say cleaning the data, what they already have. But I never hear anybody talk about the blue collar data, the below the line data that's being generated. And here is, again, we talked about it earlier, an opportunity for improvement. But it all comes back to, and, and Steve teased this for me, and I appreciate that, to the people. And this is not a unique problem. We have an aging workforce globally in multiple industries and in multiple job functions. But if I'm a finance person, for example, you can teach that person accounting, and it's the same across every organization, big and small. But in maintenance, there is specificity, and years of experience creates knowledge. One great story, and then I'll sort of tie this all together, is when you have experience, you can explain something with 20, 30, even 40 years of knowledge behind it. You can describe what a problem sounds like, and your peers and the people you work with and have been working with for decades get it immediately. A new worker, they have no idea. And so you've got this knowledge base walking out the door. How do you capture it? And as Steve mentioned earlier, this the whole idea of how do you attract new people to this industry into these job functions? There's one sort of caveat that permeates the younger generation and work. And that's arguably, interchangeably, these words can be used differently a consumer-like experience, and an intuitive nature to what they do. And so people want to use technology. They do. They use it every single day. Their phone is attached to their hand. Um, we're getting to a point, I was at an eyeglass store the other day and tried on for the first time. I think it was Ray-Ban has a set of glasses from Meta. I'm like, I'm listening to what 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 my phone is saying. I'm, I'm recording with, with my eyes and what's going on. It's incredible. That's what young people want. And so we have got to be able to do more with less because we're going to have fewer people entering and more people leaving. And this isn't five years from now. This is five months from now. And in some cases, we're what, two, two weeks before the end of the year. I'm sure there are a few people that they've got two weeks left in their careers because they're not, they're not coming back in 2024. And I think I tie this all into the sort of the bow of people, process, the corporate, all of this that Steve has talked about is that information comes in the door at the source when you're, when you're on the, in the shop floor. That becomes real-time data. 
But the value, the competitive advantage you as a company has is when that becomes institutional knowledge. If you are an organization that has built this framework to collect and facilitate and store institutional knowledge, you have a competitive advantage over company that is in your field that doesn't do this. Okay, perfect. So you guys convinced me uh, as a, a company, I want to invest in this. So I want to increase my uh, my efficiency, my effectiveness as a maintenance organization. So how do I start? What do I need to do? Um, that, that's a, an interesting question. I, I think there are a number of ways to answer that, that Wim. There is the practically what, what I need to do, which is, look, If we want to go through this, we need to make sure we've got budget. We need to make sure we understand what our goals are. We need to go find a, uh, a vendor or a number of vendors to engage with and say, we've got some bus the business goals that we spoke about earlier, right? We've got some business goals. We have uh, objectives. And um, we would like to go on this journey. And uh, and then engage with the vendor. And the right vendor is going to come in and act as a partner. They're, go they're going to say, Tell us what works today. Tell us what pains you've got. Let us share with you our experiences of how other customers have gone on a similar journey and the value that they get from it. And then you work together to prove whether or not it's feasible and manageable within your organization. And, and then you build a, a process together which gets the company to a point where they can implement a technology like SIGA, deploy it, and ensure, and this is the really important piece, to ensure that it, it, it's not just bought and implemented, but it is actually uh, adopted. And this is, for me, this is the, the, the difference between success and failure of any of these kinds of, of projects. It's not about, can we find a vendor that does what we, what we want? It is not about, do we have an idea of what we're trying to achieve? When you implement these kinds of tools, it is about change management. It is about preparing an organization for the fact that they are going to do things differently tomorrow than they did today. And guess what? Humans do not like change. We are hardwired for status quo. And if you're going to take people through change, they need to understand the value for them. They need to feel that they've got people with them that they can trust. By the way, that, that is an experience that, that we provide. We actually stay engaged after our implementation as part of our standard methodology and process for, for this very reason. People are going to have questions and they're going to have what they feel are stupid questions and they want a safe space to go ask them. So um, I, I think it, it, it's all of these things, but it actually, I guess really the answer to the question I'm trying to say here is, Finding the right vendor is going to make going on this journey so much easier and the likelihood of success so much greater. Yeah, you really need a partnership and then a follow through uh, because uh, maybe there is some pain in changing, but afterwards the benefits are quite real and quite big. I, 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 they are huge. Maybe I can give you a couple of examples. Yeah, well, yeah, let, let's say that maybe I, I think you guys, you come into the company, so you see some inefficiencies going on. So what are kind of things that you quite commonly see and how can you solve them? 
Look, I'll give you a couple of, I think these are real examples, right? Because I, I can I can tell you, look, when we look at an ROI, these are the typical contributors. But I think it becomes much more meaningful when you can understand these are the real gains that an organization has created. So here's a couple I'd be uh, delighted to share. The first is a, a global company and uh, a global food and beverage company. But in, in their LATAM operation, they were struggling with scheduling. And scheduling, as we all know, is, is complex. There are a number of variables. goes back to the things that I said, right? Do I even have the, the capacity? Um, do I have the right skills, certifications? Do I have the inventory? Do I have the parts? Um, is it a team? Is it an individual? A and it's complicated. And this organization was doing this in a manual process, and it was taking them two days to prepare the schedule. So they two days in for, for the, the work in two days' time. They, um, they worked with us to implement our planning and scheduling tool, which looks at all of these things, makes it very easy for an organization that wants to continue manual scheduling, makes it very easy for them to, to see and observe where some of these challenges are. Great example is there is a, a big blinking red icon on the screen for a work order that doesn't have materials in stock, materials on, on hand. So you know you can't schedule it, right? It's a problem that needs to go and be solved. And we can also completely automate that experience and create schedules that, that that schedulers can then go operate against and reserve them for being exception managers. They reduced, this company in doing that, they reduced two days to two hours. They scheduled in two hours. That's a huge reduction. Wow. I'll give you another example on mobility. So Fortune 500 food and beverage company, um, they have, like, like many of your customers, like many of, of your audience, I'm sure, they have a clean room. And when you go into a clean room, we all know it's a laborious process, right? You've got to put on the rubber boots. You've got to put on the, the overalls, the hairnet, the hat, wash your hands. You need to be contaminant free. This is not a quick process, right? It's not just put a pair on, on a pair of gloves. And it typically takes 20, 25 minutes. And if you don't have something that makes it easy to stay in the environment and you're following a typical process, which is go and print out a work order, walk, go into the clean room, perform my job, leave, go to an SAP terminal, type in what I did, type in my time codes, type in my fault codes and sort of capture all of that information, then go back again, repeat that process like they were. They were doing that several times a day. So the introduction of mobility that works offline that keeps all of the information, all, all of the um, work orders and operations that need to be done in that location, along with information like uh, blueprints, for example, history, previous job code faults, all of that sort of stuff. They were able to eliminate two and a half hours of waste a day. Two, that's two and a half hours per tech per day of real more productive time. I mean, that's phenomenal in terms of value return. And, and, and let me just add on a little bit to what Steve was saying. When you think about the mobility tool in somebody's hands, not only are you saving that time of clocking in and clocking out of the, of the clean room, but the information is more accurate because you're gaining, you're, you're, you're collecting it 
in real time. You're not writing a note down and six hours later going to a terminal and saying, oh, can I even read my handwriting? I've seen some maintenance handwriting. It's worse than some doctors that I've seen. And we know that doctors can't uh, write in any language that anybody can read. (laughs) But the other thing, you know, and Steve mentioned that in an offline scenario, but what about all of these places where you have connect connectivity, meaning you're collecting and recording, maybe it's in a, a, a video that you're taking with your mobile device or a picture that you can edit on there. And it immediately goes into the organization, into your SAP. That data is, that information is immediately data and it is immediately actionable. It's not actionable six hours later. It's not actionable tomorrow. It's actionable right now. Now you tie that into the planning and scheduling operation. And as Steve already mentioned, you get the right person with the right knowledge scheduled immediately to address them. You've now saved even more time on potentially uh, uh, an asset that might be down in a normal way for two to three days or a week. Maybe it's down for two to three hours. It's all value creation. Another another great story, one of my favorites, um, because I've really gotten to know this company very, very well over the last few months. They bit off everything all at once. They implemented a mobility solution with SIGA at the same time that they were implementing S, uh, uh, um, SAP PM. And I even believe that they were, mig- they were migrating to S4 HANA all at once. Now, they had a great organizational structure where there were representatives from eight different departments on a team from IT, executive sponsorship, maintenance, and everybody in between. So if you got to do it right, this was the model. But they recognized as they were implementing SIGA even more than what they signed up for. And they noticed that when parts came in from a vendor, they sat on a warehouse shelf. Well, the vendor started the warranty clock as soon as that was delivered. Well, a part could sit there for weeks, months, maybe even more than a year. Well, there's money in the warranties. And so this company, global company, three continents, um, North, uh, uh, three countries rather, Canada, North America, uh, United States, and Latin America. And they recognized that they could do time stamping. They could take a picture exactly when the box was open, the part was put into use. They then went back to all of their vendors and said, hey, we now know exactly when. We've got a time and date stamp. This became a half a million to a million, and I will convert it for your audience, euros savings in year one. That is real money. That is immediate ROI that paid for over and above a lot of the work that they were implementing in doing this. And that's, again, you know, you've mentioned the word, but Steve started it earlier. It's a partnership. We want to work with people and companies to take and innovate with a great platform of technology. And I think that Steve, I think I hope you'll agree. We've just shared three stories that showcase exactly that. Because even that food and beverage client that we talked about in the technician saving two and a half hours, 
they went in with, we need to solve this problem and we need to solve that problem. And they solved about a half a dozen different challenges that they didn't even think that they could solve with the SIGA technology. And again, it's thinking differently. That's what it all, it's really what it is. It's process improvement. Yes, and it's eliminating eliminating waste, uh, waste that is not necessary and, 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 and that, that rise off uh, the end. It pays back. Completely. Yeah. And I don't know and I don't know a CEO out there that isn't in favor of how can we eliminate waste and a CFO that says how can we save money and, and reallocate some of this budget elsewhere. And that's what we're doing on that's what our clients, our customers are doing every single day. Yeah, well, you have also customers, without any doubt, that are working on a kind of a program like world-class maintenance or world-class manufacturing. So how uh, does your solution, the SIGA solution, ties in with these kinds of uh, of initiatives? Uh, how do you see that happening? And are those triggers also to invest into yeah, the, the, the solutions of SIGA? Uh, the short answer is yes. You probably <laughs> want me to elaborate a little more. So, <laughs> so happy to do so. Um, First of all, like world-class maintenance is is a really evocative kind of phrase, right? And I don't think there is anybody who can go and say world-class maintenance can categorically be described as this. Now, so, so what's our view on world-class maintenance? Our view on world-class maintenance is saying, given all the, the advances that, that we've been able to make, both in terms of capabilities uh, IoT, for for example, and uh, processes and philosophy, reliability-centered maintenance, right? For us, world-class maintenance is saying, how do you make sure, when you think about the maturity curve going from run to fail, it's the only thing I know how to do, all the way through to taking advantage of all of these sort of predictive capabilities, AI models, all of that, is is to make sure that an organization has defined the appropriate maintenance strategy for every asset, right? For me, that is world-class maintenance. And as you go up the maturity curve, you can take advantage of all of these capabilities that software and hardware has brought us. So for me, the the world-class maintenance is not everything that we do is 100% predictive, it's we're doing the right maintenance strategy for the right asset, and we have all of the data to make the right decisions to, to be able to do that. Completely agree with that. So to answer the question, like who benefits for, from being able to do this? I think Ty mentioned it earlier, but the short answer is, is everyone. I, I enjoy this question. When I enjoy this question because when you put maintenance at the center you can start to do this hub and spoke where you can talk about all of the other parts of the organization that benefit from improving maintenance. If you start with the technicians themselves, we spoke about all the efficiency gains and, and, and your audience are very comfortable with this. But you know what? What we didn't say is if you do that well, you increase job satisfaction. And when you increase job satisfaction, you increase, this is well, this is well proven. These are, are documented by universities worldwide. When you improve job satisfaction, you improve productivity, you improve retention. So there is no downside here. When you think about production and, and operations, then by introducing the right tools, I mentioned this earlier about being able to improve collaboration across departments. 
there is an inherent tension in organizations now. You will have seen this dozens of times, right? You've got the maintenance department who know they need to go and work on a particular asset. And you've got the, the operations team who are saying, leave me alone. I've got a production schedule and I need to keep this things keep this thing running. And there's this inherent tension. Well, well, better tools, better visibility, promote better dialogue and collaboration across those organizations, which make it easier to make sure that we can schedule downtime for the right degree of maintenance and done well, it means we don't have failures, which means we're not paying for often probably hourly labor to be sitting doing things, just sitting around on the operation side while a machine gets fixed. So it it all becomes sort of self-serving. Um, Ty, what, what like what's your view on who benefits? Yeah, I mean, it, it, Steve and I both have been saying this for a while, and and Wham, I, I said this in my presentation at the Asset Performance Conference. It really is everybody. One of the big challenging audiences is the IT group, and I've been involved in digital transformation in one form or another for almost two decades now, and. It's always the, well, we can, let's move from Excel spreadsheets to accounting software. Let's do something. IT is not thinking of big, heavy assets in their organization, big pieces of equipment. Very often equipment that is customized for that company and for the products that they make, whether it's parts that go into something else or the end product themselves. And so... IT really needs to start thinking, what about maintenance? Because, again, it ties all together. If we can save money, we can become more efficient through technology, we are going to be able to reallocate these resources. And the other, the other thing that, that I think is always a, uh, a challenge for organizations is they need something done. They go to that IT department, and IT says, all right, what's your budget? And let's see, we got six pro. We can get to you in nine months. Well, with SIGA and with what we do, we can be up and running in a very fast period of time, usually less than 90, 120 days. And we'll talk a little bit later, and I'll let Steve do this because he's an expert on this. With our no-code solution, it's not a burden on IT. So a lot of this is how do we educate different departments inside of organizations. But when they when the light bulb goes off, it's a very big bright light. And it's you know finance for sure. There is an incredible benefit if you can save even a fraction of a percentage point in maintenance operations, that's not a couple of euros here, a couple of euros there. That's real money. Steve, others. Yeah, I will take 60 seconds just just to finish my thoughts on this question. Um, So if we improve quality, so our yield, if we improve our availability, our uptime, if we improve our performance, our, our throughput, essentially we have more to sell. And... This is going to um, excite not just the sales organization, but but the executive team, the shareholders, right? Because it's going to promote corporate stability and growth. And this is those those connected benefits that we're talking about by better improving the efficiencies across the organization. It connects everywhere. The last the last group to talk about who benefits with in the everybody 
I got to say is the customers, because if you can improve quality and ability to deliver, you're creating reliability for your customers of quality and supply. And when you do that, you ingratiate and build trust. And when you can connect what you do to customer experience, this is what I told you we try and do inside the company. And if we can demonstrate how improving maintenance, investing in maintenance, not just the technology, but the people, improves customer experience, then that's how we put maintenance at the center of our world and get stakeholders and budget support for this work to be taken seriously. Yes, and, and talking about that uh, budget support, um, of course, when you do in, uh, in uh, capital investments, there you have, of course, the, the big term, uh, return on investment. It, it's quite clear you can calculate it, what the project is going to, to give. So how does that work with this, this kind of uh, improvement in maintenance that you are offering? Uh, is there also a return on investment that can be put up front or that can be calculated? I mean, I'll take this to start, and Steve, feel free to add on. If, if, if you go into, for example, 2024, and you know you've got 10 giant pieces of equipment, 5, 10 million euro, and even more in cost, and finance is trying to figure out the allocation of budget for, okay, I'm going to need one of these is going to fail, and I'm going to need to replace it in 2024. If maintenance can keep that alive into 2025, there's immediate dollars that can be reallocated across an enterprise. It's so important that maintenance is providing a today fix, but a potential longer-term investment solution, or at least delaying the inevitable of ultimate failure and replacement. And I think that is something that, again, we go back to how does this connect throughout an organization? This is an example of where you're connecting maintenance to finance. You're connecting finance to operations. And you're connecting all three together. And, you know, Steve, anything more to add to that? But I think in its simple terms, every – I said it before – every small percentage of savings – this is, in depart- this is a department in a company that a small percentage is real money. Yeah, m- maybe I can, I can um, continue the answer to the question, Wim, by sort of spinning this slightly uh, and talking a little bit about some of the challenges organizations have in, in developing ROI. Yes. So um, when when I when I sort of explore that question, I, I want to start by saying I, I was reading the other day in a, 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 an article that was published in July by the Harvard Business Review that said 89% of large global companies have a digital and AI transformation underway. So 89% of companies are talking about some degree of digital transformation. Interestingly, there's of those companies, they report at best 25% of, of cost savings having been realized. But the transformation work is going. And I'll tie this to the ROI question in a moment. I do think, however, there is a distinction between digital transformation and maintenance transformation. Because the 
biggest problem that I am seeing that organizations are struggling with is not how do we go and say we can increase wrench time. And if we increase wrench time, we can do more with, with, uh, with less. And that's not, that's not to say that we have to have less people. It gives us more time to invest in other higher value activities, right? So people know how to have that conversation, how to um, reduce overtime, reduce contractors, reduce backlog. People know how to, to, to do that. The challenge is when that's all we're looking at, we're really fighting against these competing budgets that live in digital transformation. These big, sexy projects around supply chain, for example, which which will or, or being able to go and do some big materials project where we want to be able to do a 15 million one-off inventory capex reduction. Right. So these are the the, the challenges that. Um, organizations face when they're trying to build ROI. And the answer to the question is because 89% of companies have these transformation programs and have these transformation budgets, how do you create a business case that competes effectively in that? And that's typically done by uh, um, something called IRR, internal rate of return. It allows finance organization executive team to look at it and say, this project is worthy of investment over any others. How do you make a maintenance ROI, a maintenance business case, drive more IRR? And this really connects right back to what Ty was saying. It is going above and beyond the usual, which is, I'm going to reduce my overtime, contractors, do more with less, and connecting it all the way through to those benefits that we spoke about earlier, which is, hang on, if I do that, I can increase my yield. Well, if I increase my, my, my yield and my quality, I've got less waste. That's fantastic. I should put that in my business case. If I've got less waste and I can keep the machine running longer, I can produce more stuff. Maybe if I produce more stuff with the same machine, I don't need to go and invest in a brand new line or potentially buy a brand new company, right? All of this can support a very, very compelling business case and our genuine and real returns that maintenance, advancement, and improvements can bring. Yes, and then we are only talking now about the financial benefits, but also on the sustainability level, uh, ESG goals, etc. I think there are also maintenance is, is, is very aligned. And, and the EHS goals. Yes. Right, same thing. And there's a human cap. There's a human capital benefit too. If you are creating happier, more satisfied workers, that permeates throughout an organization, and it's attractive for new people to want to come in and join that group. Yes, certainly. So, you have been talking, Steve, about the maintenance transformation instead of a, a, a digital transformation, but uh, of course. You're um, offering a digital tool, a digital solution to enhance or to improve or to, to get the kickstart of this uh, maintenance transformation. So um, are there also barriers there that you need to, uh, to, to tackle? And, 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 and what, are, what are the things that you can do in order to cope with those barriers? Um, when, I'm sorry, barriers, the barriers as to... Yeah, well, what are for you main obstacles uh, that are preventing companies for transforming, for doing this transformation, and 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 how? What are barriers that might be barriers in order to 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 change into a world class uh, maintenance entity? So, uh, what do we really need to tackle there? 
Yeah. Um, so I, I think part one is the can can we build a business case that is going to compete effectively for some of these transformation budgets that, that we spoke about? Part of it is going to be can we deal with the change management? And for that, we've got to have we've got to have interested stakeholders. We need to have senior leaders that want to champion this and, and, and be invested. And the other part of this, also linking to something Ty said earlier, is we have to have when we think about stakeholders and partners, we have to have IT as a partner. So these are probably the three biggest barriers to implementing and introducing this kind of, of technology. Is it, can I prove that I can afford it, right? And that's going to bring a return. How do I deal with this inherent status quo that, that we want to just do the same thing and, and change management around that? And how do I overcome the fact that particularly with SAP, IT are very, very prickly about the kind of um, uh, software that gets connected to SAP. So we've got to make sure early on we bring IT into this project, into this initiative, that we answer all of their questions, which, by the way, we're very well equipped to do, and we turn them into being an active partner. When we do that, the barriers to entry fall away, not just that, we actually create this wonderful flywheel effect, this inertia where people are excited about the change. The change is allowing them to create more productivity. The IT organization are saying, you know what, this is easier. We have more visibility. We feel it's a safe solution. And it allows together the entire company to move towards a, a more continuous innovation model which is supported, as, as, as I said, by our sort of no-code platform. It equips an organization to take these additions by adding capabilities inside the product within their own organization and not have to be beholden to us as a vendor to say, we want to, we want to add in a, uh, an authentication to this process, right? And then we say, all right, we'll see you in three months and 60,000 euros later. Those days are gone. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit further on that no-code platform, if you ma don't mind. Um, can you give a practical example of, of how that, that works and what does that mean and, and what are the real benefits of having such a no-code platform solution? Of course. So a no-code platform solution, um, the, uh, and it, it truly is a platform. So when I say it's a platform, it allows us to, to, to change things like screen design. It allows us to add in workflow elements. And we have these things called bots, which, which are the automations that are running in the background. On top of that, we, we also have no-code integration. So I'll, I'll pause for a second because no-code integration into SAP, yes, ECC and, and S4HANA, and that's extremely powerful. So here is, I'll give you a real example. Um, typically, when you put together a notification, right, inside SAP, there is no place for you to go and take a photo. So you raise a notification, you have to put in some text and hope somebody who gets it understands it. For us, and we actually have this deployed, but here is the real example. It's easy to go into the screen It's easy to say, I want to add notification as an object. You add notification. You can connect it to a, 
a blob object inside SAP. So we can actually store it inside SAP. We can connect that object to the work order and we can do that. That process is probably 15 to 20 minutes. You can then deploy that solution within minutes. Now, you're going to want to QA, you're going to want to prove it, so maybe it's a couple of days. But that's a very real example. And what, what you end up with now is when you have a maintenance tech or somebody from operations going and raising a notification, at the bottom of the screen, it is, I can take a photo. They can take a photo, they can annotate the photo, that gets saved with the notification, and when the notification gets converted, it becomes a work order, the same um, picture is attached to the work order, which is not native to, to SAP. So maybe that's a very real example of how easy it is to do and the kind of flexibility we can create. Let me, let me, let me throw something else in there that, that we see every single day. I'm fascinated by the fact that you have a company that might have 50 plants spread throughout Europe. You have 50 maintenance departments doing things 50 different ways. So when you implement something, how do you, companies are challenged with how do you scale something when it's done differently all over the place? Well, we have seen, and and, and Steve, you may want to say something more about this, where a company will come in and implement SIGA in two or three locations, see the value, and instead of it taking another six to nine or even a year with a lot of transformation projects in other areas of their company to implement, because you have a no-code no uh, platform in SIGA, you can go to 10 more plants, 40 more plants, 50 more, each one individually, and tweak the, plat, the, 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 the tool in the minor ways to adapt to that location. And so your ability to implement and your ability to scale is in weeks, not quarters, let alone a year. Any other thoughts, Steve? On, on, on... I, do, I do think we have to be careful with the way we phrase that, right? What we don't want people to think is that we're cavalier and process doesn't matter because it, sure. it absolutely does. And you want to create common process. I think what you're referring to, Ty, is that there are often idiosyncrasies in, in, in different plants and it's easy for us to actually do both, easy to do both and say, let's follow a common process, but let's make it easy for the maintenance tech to have an experience, which is one that best fits them. And again, it's the same thing, right? If you make their experience easier, if you make it easier for them to perform their work, they're more likely to do it, more likely to use it, and more likely to create all those downstream benefits without having to compromise on creating a global maintenance process and the way that drives information into SAP. Thanks for clarifying me. Yes, yes <laughs> but that's, it's important. It's uh, adoptability. Yeah? So people are really doing it, are using the tool, and it's not a, a fancy thing that is uh, laying around and, and, and then, well, maybe a, a, a different or a difficult task right. at the end of the day, making the administration. So the, the administration is done on the fly, because it's accessible uh, in an easy way in the end. That's right. Yeah, okay. So um, are there any other types of solutions or things that SIGA uh, is bringing into the workflow? Um, so I think we spoke about um, Empower, which is our, our mobile solution, and the fact that we have this no code. So at least on that, 
we're going to continue to build capabilities. And again, it, it's fairly easy for us to do so. So whether that would be, for example, like inspection rounds, EHS, GPS, risk assessments, it, it's fairly easy. And the beauty is because it's a web-based environment, it's a SaaS platform, it's not just us that get to create this. Like our, our customers can create these capabilities. Our partners can create these capabilities. And everybody benefits. Our community benefits from what every what everybody else creates. Excuse me. We have our, our, our planning and scheduling win. You heard me talk about that. Which does the 52-week budgeting all the way down to, to in-day scheduling. We continue to learn. We've had this, this solution for over a decade. We continue to learn from our customers as to how we can do this better and things that we should do differently. And so we continue to release sort of updates to, to that. Um, and we have warehouse and inventory, which currently sits as, as an independent application. But because we have this wonderful platform, we're bringing the warehouse and inventory capability into that. And that's that's really wired mostly for maintenance, but for the maintenance benefit, good receipts, good issues, material management, that sort of stuff. Um, but but we'll continue to do that. Yeah. So, um, Ty, uh, any other uh, future developments that you see coming around? Well, I think that the unique thing, it's not a specific development. It's how we approach the industry. Our founders who are still part of the company and the, the people, for example, that head up our, our uh, uh, planning and scheduling uh, product team, these are people that started their professional careers in maintenance in plants. One of the things that uh, a veteran of Silicon Valley for 20 plus years, I've seen way too many people come up with an idea have no idea about an industry or the problem that they're going to solve. They just think that technology can solve it. And then they go and they learn and they learn as they go. Our people actually face these problems. We started out as a service organization and evolved into a technology um, product uh, software company. And that is such a unique and, and important distinction so that we, I'd like to think, we're talking to people and customers and, and maintenance people every single day. We're listening to their problems. And we can then go back, translate that into a solution, and then go build it and bring it to the market because the market has asked for it. Whether they've raised their hand and said, I need this today, their words have expre expressed a desire and a need for how do I do this better? I've got to save time. I've got fewer people. I, I, maybe I even have a, a, a situation where technology has to do it. We've been to enough conferences, including the asset performance one, where the robot dog is walking around. Well, clearly there are things that people can't go and do. But the one thing we haven't said about this entire maintenance organization and maintenance in general is maintenance will not be eliminated. Technology is not taking people's jobs. Technology will make their jobs easier, better, faster, and free these individuals up to think about how to innovate and improve what they're doing every single day. That is a continuous loop that we all, in any company, want that environment. 
Wow, right? That's a very interesting summary, Ty. There, I'm pretty passionate because, about. I'm pretty yeah, passionate yeah, about no, it. It, it. It sounds, it sounds so. But Stephen, any other uh, remarks? Um, I, I would like to say we've covered so much, Wim, and yeah. we could do another two or three hours. I'm sure. Look, I, I would like to thank you for the opportunity to come and have the conversation, and the the, the BIMAS community in general. What I found when I was there, and, and I, I'm doing this across the entire globe, right? What I found was it's an incredibly tight-knit group of professionals with a, a, a very open and transparent willingness to engage together, to learn from each other. Um, we feel privileged to feel a part of this community in, in some way, and we take the responsibility that we have to be a good citizen in this community by providing value, not just solutions, but but, but, but value um, very seriously. And um, I'm very happy personally to be held account by all of your listeners and all of the participants uh, of BEMAS. Um, it's a wonderful organization. And, and I, I don't mean that as a trite comment. I genuinely believe it. And um, we, we feel privileged to be part of the community. So thank you. Well, thank you, Stephen, for, and, and, and time for these very nice words and also for this very interesting uh, conversation. I really enjoyed it. I, I think we have touched very basic truths about maintenance and, and how maintenance should look like uh, today and in the future. And uh, I, I, I'm sure that uh, our listeners have really enjoyed uh, this conversation too. So uh, by this, I would like to thank you for your contribution and your presence and this uh, conversation and also to our listeners thank you for listening and i would say maybe uh, and certainly to a next podcast of asset performance bye